we all have biases. We do. They, they call it in psychological terms a, a cognitive bias in our mind. We, we see things a certain way with a, with a certain slant. We, we wear a lens over our eyes, and we, you've heard a term through rose-colored glasses, seeing the world that way. You can see the world through blurry glasses. It's just different ways our shadows and our strongholds actually encourage that. We, we have a bias in the way that we view things and situations and we view other people. So, for example, some of you come into church today and, and you came in believing that God is present and that you're going to meet him here and, and that you're going to take away him and you're going to come in with that bias. And then another person might be here. Maybe you're here just as a favor to somebody else. And you've come in believing that all churches and people are hypocrites. And they're only after your money. And that they're spinning fairy tales for the naive. And so you're going to get what you see through your bias. And so if, you, if that is your bias, you'll see hypocrisy, greed, and fairy tales. And if you're believing you're here and that God is real and that his, he wants to reveal himself, you're going to see God. And so we have those biases. We find what we're looking for is the bottom line. It's not the facts that really differ how we perceive situations and people. It's, it's the filter. It's the lens through which we see life. And that's what we're talking about today. This is not a new topic in this series. We've, we've touched on it throughout. But I, I just want to go a little deeper. Today we want to do, I know this is going to sound cringy, we want to do eye surgery. We've got spiritual glaucoma. We, 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 need, to, we need to get rid of the blur and, and get things a bit clearer today. So God, do your surgery. If your father was absent and abusive when you were a child, there's a good chance that maybe your perception of God is somebody who's distant and doesn't care. That's very common in that way. Jesus, though, dealt with his disciples, and he did it in a rebuking way, and he asked a question in a rebuking way. and He, he asked a question about how it is that they're not seeing what they need to see with spiritual eyes. And he said it this way in the Gospel of Mark. He said, do you have eyes but fail to see? You have eyes in your sockets, but why aren't you seeing this right? In ears, but you can't hear, you fail to hear. And so we need to adjust our lens. We have a lens that's over our eyes, and we need to adjust it. And we get to choose how we see. That's a choice. We can choose through which lens we want to see people and circumstances in our life and where God's part is. So Anita and her husband, Ron, were going through a tough time in their life, tough time in their marriage. Uh, Ron had lost his job and he hadn't been able to find a new one for a while. Unemployment was coming to an end and it wasn't enough to make ends meet anyway. So there was heavy pressure on the house. His wife, Nita, was considered by everybody the spiritual one of the household. She went to all the ladies' studies, and she was there serving, and she was faithfully attending Sundays, and Ron, not so much. He was kind of in and out, professing faith, but not much. But they both received this circumstance differently. Their son had needed surgery, and they didn't, couldn't afford the COBRA payments for their insurance anymore. So they were really backed in a dark place, and things got really desperate. 
And Anita got consumed with it. And though she had longer time in the Lord, Anita was taken off. She began to isolate, and when she did meet her friends, she could only think and talk about all the trauma and travail in their life, a very natural reaction. She struggled to maintain her daily time in the Lord and found it hard to read because of all the thoughts came to her mind and the fears just consumed her. She played the blame game and had angry outbursts that she hadn't had before. She put her amygdala, remember this, just a refresher, the part of the brain that God gave you that is your place of emotions, and she took the amygdala, and she didn't take her emotions to the prefrontal cortex, and so amygdala, Amy ruled the day, and she just gave cortex the month off, two months off, and just said, Amy, you run the show here, and it went crazy. But Ron had a totally different experience, the so-called less spiritual one. Yeah. See, Anita's lens did not see sovereignty of God's hand in their situation, but Ron was a little different. When Ron was faced in this situation, Ron looked back at their former difficult times that they've had in their life, in their marriage, and as a parent, and, and he remembered how God had used it. He remembered the words of Jesus, and some faithful brothers reminded him that he shouldn't worry about tomorrow, while tomorrow has enough trouble of its own, and Ron did what he didn't normally do. He dusted off his Bible, and he started looking for those verses, and he would read through in Matthew early on in the Gospels. And, and so he started to take a stand and a resolve that, that God was in this, and he, could, he started to see God's hand and him being laid off and this pressure on him, and he realized that God was using it to call him back home and to restore his family. And all of it, at the very end, Ron had a spiritual awakening, and Anita had a spiritual breakdown. Now, though Anita knew God longer, and this is very key, I have learned, and so should you, that longevity does not mean maturity. And so this is why we're having this conversation, family, just heart to heart. Like, we don't want to be captive to this bad lens that is affecting everything in our life and things that we hold on to. I heard Todd uh, Mullins, Pastor Todd Mullins, shared this account out of Second Kings, and it really stirred me. And I want to share it with you. It's a story about a prophet of God, a messenger of God. And God needed to get a messenger to his people. And Elisha performed miracles, and he was clearly God's man. Uh, and there was a king, and this king was at war with God's people, with Israel. And it says in his word in, in 2 Kings, it says, and now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. And after conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. In other words, this is the war plan. But the king had a problem. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Here's what happens. See, because God's man, Elisha, was tuned into God and he was his messenger, God would go to Elisha and say, here's the war plan. This is where the enemy is hiding. That's pretty good inside information, wouldn't you say? It just shows the sovereignty of God and his 
He said he's fully aware of every situation and every detail. And then it goes on, and this is what happened next. The, the king, the enemy king, is outraged because he realizes that, that wherever he goes, Israel is waiting for him and prepared for him. And so he, this enraged the king of Aram, and he summoned his officers and demanded them, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? Who is the traitor of this group? None of us, my lord, the king said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Think about that for a moment. What if the lens of your eyes saw a God who knew every detail and every whisper? He was aware of every situation in your life. What if Anita had a revelation that God, none of this passed him and that he cared for her and her husband, Ron. And so we see it, and the king orders Elisha's capture, as you can imagine. And the king says, go find out where he is so I can send men and capture him. And the report came back, he, king, sir, he's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there, and they went by night and surrounded the city. Now, just so you know, the prophet of God does not travel with an army. He may not even have a sword or a swordsman. We know he's got a young servant, but he's got nothing. He's actually totally defenseless. And the king sends a battalion to surround him and to take him captive. He's going to need all of this. He's outarmed. He's overpowered. By morning, it appears that it would be all over for God's man, Elisha. You ever felt like that? And here's what happened. Because two things you can see. Whenever we see the world and we see life, we see it in two ways. You're going to see it through the lens of the reality of what's really happening. And then you're going to react to it through the lens of your thinking. So he said this. The servant went out from the tent. He's... Oh, he's getting his coffee. He opens the tent, and he walks out, and he rubs the scales from his eyes, and he looks out, and uh-oh, this isn't looking good. When the servant of the man of God got up, and he went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. And he reacted from his amygdala, as you and I would. His Amy said, oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? It's a normal reaction, wouldn't you say? You're surrounded, and you look around at what you got, and maybe you got a, a pocket knife, and you're looking, and you're thinking at that moment, where are we going to hide, and how do we escape? They've got us on all sides. We have no place that we can go. It looks pretty hopeless, and it looks like we're done. They don't know that he's just going to capture Elisha. As far as he's concerned, they're going to kill everybody. Here's a lens, though, the eyes through which Elisha sought this, divinely given to him by God. And Elisha turns to his servant, and he says, Don't be afraid. Those who are with us 
are more than those who are with them. If you're the servant high on your amygdala endorphins, you are now questioning this guy you serve because your eyes see surrounded. And this is one of those things that when you're having a tragedy in your life and a Christian, a well-meaning Christian comes to you and says, it's okay, the Lord is with you. It just sounds trite sometimes. It's not sufficient for you. It's, and you think, get practical. You, you want to hide. You, you want to get a sword. It's, my kid's got chronic health issues, and you're telling me it's going to be okay. The landlord has upped my rent this past year by 40%, and I can't make the payments, and it's okay that the Lord is with me? How does that help me? My daughter is back on drugs, and my grandkids have converted to Islam. The layoff is imminent, and I'm going to be out of a job. And at my age, I don't know where else to go. My marriage seems over, and the mortgage is overdue, and the national de debt is hitting at $20 trillion, and we don't know if that guy in Russia is going to actually push a button and we're going to be blown up nuclearly or whatever China will do, they'll do. You and I can have a lens to seize the power of God, or we can have a lens to see only what's before us. Elisha may have still been a little anxious, but he had a revelation, and God let him see something that his servant didn't see. So I'd like us to get into this habit, please. I'm just, I have this myself that we would pray this prayer, Lord, open my eyes that I may see what you see. It makes all the difference in the world. So here's what happens next. And by the way, Elisha saw a spiritual reality. And he stopped at that moment and he, he prayed for his young servant to see what he could see. And he said, and Elisha prayed, he said, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. Listen, this is incredible. He opened the servant's eyes to see where you and I are not given permission to see, to give him a revelation of the reality, the alter reality of what you see with your eyes on earth, to see another reality through the lens of God. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around. <sighs> what if you had a lens that no matter in your situation, that you had a lens that could see a God that was greater and mightier than the forces against you? What would that do to your faith? And I will tell you this. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you see it. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you see it. God wants to do eye surgery on this area of our spiritual glaucoma. Jesus addressed his disciples by the way they chose to see the world. The disciples saw tax collectors and debaucherous sinners as people to be avoided. Jesus saw them not as unclean, but his future children and his family. The disciples saw the children, little kids, as a nuisance, but Jesus saw them as an example of faith and beckoned them to come unto him. The disciples saw these heretical Samaritans as a group of people to be avoided, and Jesus saw them as the mission field. 
it's a whole different perspective when you're wearing God's glasses. In Matthew, we very story that many of you know. It involves a character named Simon Peter and Jesus. And Peter had a, a lens on. He, he understood the kingdom and he knew the truth that he was God's child. He'd been a disciple probably at this time for going on three years. And so it was in him that he belonged to God. And Jesus asked the question just to make sure and he, and he answered correctly. And I just want us to go through that. Jesus was asking his disciples, but who do people say that I am? And they said, you know, Elijah. And they, they, they went through the whole list. But Jesus said, who? But what about you? Who do you say that I am? What is your lens? Am I just a teacher to you? Am I a prophet? Am I a vehicle for your great fame and success? Who am I? Simon perpetuously, as always, answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter knew the Lord. He confessed with his mouth, and he believed in his heart that Jesus was Lord. He was set aside and redeemed by God. And Jesus gave Peter a blessing. He's God's child, like you. God has given you a blessing if you're his. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter, you have a new home. You have a new name. You have a new identity. But Peter had an old lens. Jesus goes on to forewarn, and we're going to see Peter's lens here. Like us, we may know him, and it may be like Anita for a very long time, and, but we're wearing these old glasses. We're seeing things through a different set of eyes. So it says that from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, and he must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Peter's lens, however, his view of what the Messiah would do, that he would come and build a kingdom on earth and that he would simply be part of this new earthly kingdom. He was convinced of that. No matter what Jesus said, he wore the old lens. And Jesus turns to him and he rebukes him. Jesus, Peter is probably thinking like some of us do with our old lens, like these are all just metaphors. Jesus said he's suffering. It's a metaphor. He, he, he's he's going to die. He's metaphorically going to die. He's not really going to die. He's going to raise to life. And so elsewhere in scriptures, disciples talked. They weren't sure what he meant by being raised to life. And it wasn't simply, they couldn't take him at his word because they had an old lens. And so what did Peter do? He took him aside. And he began to rebuke him. Can you imagine that? Uh, Jesus, come here just for a minute. Um, hey, listen. <laughs> Don't talk like that. You're scaring us. Nothing is going to happen to you. I, I won't let it. We're not going to let it. Okay? He had a lens. That's how the conversation went. He said, surely. He said, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Listen to Jesus' response to Peter. Jesus turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. 
wait a minute, I don't think Peter was being unreasonable to you. He said, no, we, we got the world by the tail here. You're healing people. You're raising the dead. We, we watched it, man. You got all the power. Nobody, you can't touch this. He wrote the first song. You can't touch this. That's what he's doing. It's untouchable. And he goes, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You do not see from God's eyes. You're looking from your own eyes at what you wish to be true. But they're not reality. You're not seeing it clearly, Peter. His eyesight was off. Listen, the lens through which you choose to see will be either aligning with God's concern or aligning with what you want it to be, what you choose to see. You will have one of two choices. You can align your eyesight to be God's thinking or you can align it to be your thinking. And when you align it with your thinking, like this is the scary part of what Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. It's, it's apart from God. It's not from spiritual forces that are from the heavenlies. It's from this earth. It's from demonic. He says, you're, you're under demonic, your lens is demonically controlled. Let that set in. And your shadows and strongholds, we know as we've talked these past couple months, they damage our vision. Jonathan met Jesus in college, and he was on fire for him. Jonathan grew up in a good home. His father was a very well-known coach. He started many ministries, and he was good in parachurch ministries. And everything he started turned to gold. He was, he was relentless. He, he had drive. And the people all around him in the Christian community applauded Jonathan for how great he was, and they lauded his, his faithfulness and perseverance on behalf of the Lord. Jonathan had a secret. Jonathan was petrified of failure. See, he grew up in his coach family. You either had wins or you had losses, and losses were not acceptable. And so he created win after win, and before they could fail, he got out of it and started something new so he wouldn't face the failure. He, he left when the winning was good. Jonathan, to ease his anxiety, started to drink in secret and then kept it even from his wife. He scolded the losers at those he perceived to be losers. He saw the world differently. He did not see, what Jonathan didn't see with his lenses, he could not see the hand of God and the obstacles that God put in his way. What he saw was Satan trying to stop him. What he couldn't see is that God was involved trying to mold him and direct him and redirect him. And so he was in conflict against God, his pride, and God's resistance because he had a bad lens. Doris is a school teacher. She's really a perfect. If you knew Doris, she's perfect, 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 perfect. Doris does everything perfect. Does her devotionals every day perfect. And she's like very orderly and neat. And she agonizes to be perfect and disciplined. And, but when Doris sees people through her eyes, she sees people and circumstances, and then she judges them against her own standards. So Doris is a judgmental perfectionist. Doris's lens is she sees that 
perfection by her standard is the only way she feels righteous. Doris needs a new set of eyes. But Jonathan and Doris both need to do one thing, and this is to heart for us, for me and you. Jonathan and Doris may need therapy. They may need pastoral counseling. Probably all true. But what Jonathan and Doris really need is they need to repent. They both are wearing eyes and a lens and they're seeing the world and their circumstances through a way that God never intended. They need to change their thinking on on how they view circumstances. They need to see the sovereign hand of God in anything that happens and give thanks in all things as we're exhorted to do. Listen, I can dwell on the object of my rejection, that and whoever rejects me, or I can choose to see that God's approval is all that I need. I have that choice. It's a hard choice, and it doesn't happen with one prayer, as we've said many times. It's a fight, isn't it? I can fixate on my weaknesses and my failures and my helplessness, or I can choose to dwell on God's mighty power to do what I couldn't possibly even imagine doing. He can do the impossible. I can dwell on one of those two. For us, we see the impossible while God says all things are possible. I see what I can't do, and God sees what he can do through me. That's an amazing lens, by the way. Take that to any circumstance in your life. That's an incredible declaration. And for all of us, we need a new lens of identity. We'll do more of this next week. So just some identity issues for us and the truth that we hold on to. You are not a warrior. I say, oh, but I worry all the time. I know. But you are not a warrior. You are a warrior. You're a warrior because God, the warrior and conqueror, lives in you. You're not defeated. You're more than a conqueror. You're not hopeless. The spirit of promise for your future hope resides in you. You're not a failure. You're a success in progress because God is at work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. These are declaration statements, and they're essential for us. I have a declaration. I don't know. I probably heard this from Craig Rochelle. I'm not sure, but when I'm looking at the world and I'm thinking it's gone mad, and I want to throw up my hands, and anxiety wants to churn in me, and anger wants to come out. I, I like what I read, and I wrote it down, and this is my declaration. I, the world really has gone mad, I'll say to myself, but I'm not going to be pulled down with it. Yeah, the world has gone mad, but I am not going with it. I'm not going to be mad with it. I'm staying on mission because I don't live in this world. I belong to a new kingdom. I live for him, the God of all. The one who surrounds a whole army of physical chariots and soldiers and outnumbers them that could do whatever in might and power, who can raise the dead, who himself rose from the dead, who could take those who never walked and say, get up and stand and walk again. Take those who have never seen and say, you, you see, go. This is the God we serve. And we need a lens that can see that. And just little for me, and I, I do this for me, and this is, I'm going to pass this on to you. We need to bodyguard our faith. They do. You've got to look at it like a bodyguard. 
Like I'm going to bodyguard. I've got to protect my belief in my system and what am I thinking and what am I believing in. I've got I've to stand guard there. With Pastor Tony said last week, and you've got to go for the place of desperation in your cave. Make declarations. I'll give you a few as we close this. And so when fear overtakes me and I just I have a fear of not having enough, I will declare Jesus is the source of my contentment in every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in want or plenty, he is all that I need and he's more than enough. When I'm a victim and feels like the whole world is absolutely against me and nothing is going right. I say, if God is for me, who can be against me? My God is working all things for my good and his. I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves me and gives me his strength. And when greed overtakes and it's not enough, it's not enough and there's more I say, I am not my stuff. I am not. My identity is not my stuff. I am who God says I am. He says I'm blessed. He says I am fulfilled. And he's, I am called with a purpose to make a difference. If your issue is porn and lustfulness, lust is not my master. God has redeemed me and given me pure thoughts. God is always faithful, and when I am tempted, he always gives me a way out. I have a different lens. And when I'm facing an overwhelming day, and tomorrow some of you are facing an overwhelming day, it'll start with a declaration. This is your lens that you put on. Day, first thing you do. I will say this. I said it this morning. Today I get to experience God's strength when I am weak. Today, I get to experience God's strength when I am weak. He gives me everything I need to do what he has called me to do. He has given me everything I need to do what he has called me to do. He has given me the strength to face whatever it is that's out there. I would like at this moment before Pastor Tony comes up, I'm wondering if, if you would give me the privilege of praying over you those people in here and you're you're at that place you're you're against the wall a thousand miles long and there's not even a window in it you're in a place that you just can't get out of these cycles of seeing you can't see his power you're not experiencing that and you've you've just kind of given over your life to amygdala and, and you've just given up any hope and you're stuck if that's you, I'm just going to ask you for anybody that's just need of some extra help in this area of getting past it and getting a new eyes of seeing God's sovereignty. I would ask if you would, don't, don't be afraid to do it. Would you just stand up? Just stand up. Just stand. Just stand. Don't worry. Just stand. Just stand. Dear God, I, I'm, Lord, you know those that are just are, are sensing that place of being stuck and, and not being able to see you and, and your greatness and your power and sovereignty. And Lord, you know they want to. And Lord, I, we will ask you for a fresh spirit-led anointing on each of these people, that they would know you, that they would know your, your might and power anew, 
that, Lord, that you will help them, each and every one, to have a new way, a fresh way of looking at life, at people and circumstances through your eyes, that you will gift them with this kind of faith, helping them to endure where they have given up in enduring places where they've just cashed out and quit, that, Lord, that you would help them take the next step in coming along and carrying them even to the finish line. And, Lord, we thank you that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.